All right. I heard about three preachers who were in a boat together one day, and they were fishing. And one of them said, you know, this is unique. We're out here, and we're usually kind of put on the spot, and we don't get to let our hair down very often. And so how about we just go around in this boat, and all of us admit what our greatest sin is? And the first preacher said, well, I hate to admit this, but my greatest sin is gambling. And at night, sometimes I sneak out of my house. My wife doesn't see me, but I, I sneak out, and I go gamble. And the second preacher said, well, I, I'm ashamed to admit this, but, but my greatest sin is probably lying. I haven't paid my taxes for years. And the third preacher said, well, I'm, I'm, and he just sat there silent, and he wouldn't say anything. The other said, no, you have to say something. You have to say what your sin is, or we're not going to let you back on land. And he said, fine, my greatest sin is gossip, and I can't wait to get off this boat. <laughs> Well, aren't you thrilled that no matter how deep or dark or great your sin is, God can cover it? And so if you wondered that this morning, if you walked in wondering, can my sin be covered? The blood of Christ can do that, and only the blood of Christ. And we're grateful for that. He covered Abraham's cowardice. He covered Moses' murder. He covered David's adultery. He covered Peter's denial. And he can cover your sin, and he can cover my sin. God's grace is big enough. Amen, church? And so we're grateful for that today. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I, I hope you know when we open our Bibles, we're not just opening a book. Do you know that? You can go to the library and get a book. We are being invited into the very heart of God. And so this is an important time in our week as we open or click to to John uh, chapter 13, we're in week two of a series called Stop Going to Church. Have you ever heard that in church before? Have you ever heard the preacher say, stop going to church? Just take a moment, turn to the person to your right and tell them, I don't want to see you go to church anymore. Just do that for a moment. I felt kind of weird, didn't it? <laughs> felt kind of weird. And here's why. We go to two different, uh, we go to events and we go to places. And whenever we go to places, just a little reminder of last week, whenever we go to events, it necessitates an audience and it necessitates a performance. And, and, and we're going to get into this in following weeks, but that is unhealthy for you as an audience. It is unhealthy for us trying to put on a performance. That, if, if you know the New Testament at all, you know that is never implied when it comes to the church that there is an audience and there is a performance. As a matter of fact, that's one of the critiques of the church that we are watching a performance sometimes. And the other thing that we go to is a place, a building, which is often what is implied in the word church, but that would imply that you're a consumer and we're giving you a product. And you are to walk around judging which product is the best. And that church puts on the best product and that church puts on a B minus product, and that church does a C-plus product. But if, again, if you know your New Testament, you know that is never how the church is talked about. But this is what the church has become known for. They become known for events and places. When you drive by a church, what do you think? If you've ever been there, you think, well, they put on this kind of event. Or I like that building, or I don't like that building. I like the modern ideas that they have. That's what we think of when we think of church. Now, I, I just need some crowd participation this morning. I'm going to show you a picture of a person or a brand or a company or a restaurant, uh, something. The first thing that pops in your head, just say it out loud whenever you see these things or people, okay? For, don't think too deeply. We're in church. We don't need to think deeply. First thing that pops in your head, 
whenever it comes up on the screen. First one, Michael Jordan. First thing. Basketball or greatness? I, I, I heard both of those. Both would be right. Uh, the, the second thing, Jesus' favorite place. Ice cream or blizzards, if, yes, blizzards. Don't know what to think of that. But they're still doing the turnaround upside down thing, and it still doesn't fall, which is amazing to me. Has ama- I still laugh at that when they give it to me, don't I? Just, that's amazing. Anyway, I don't know where that came from. Third one, Bernie Madoff. Who? That's not a bad thing. Crook. I, I was actually looking for crook. The first thing that pops in my head is crook. Fourth one. Here we go. Fourth one. How many have they sold? Millions. I think it's billions. It might be trillions. I think it's time they stop counting. That's all I know. And finally, the fifth one. I'm not hearing words. I'm just hearing, oh, I see thumbs down. I see people leaving the church. Okay. People being escorted. <laughs> okay. Back to the word. But when I say church, what's the first thing that pops in your head? Too often we think of an event, which is unhealthy, or we think of a place, which is equally unhealthy. So we start, we start hearing statements like this, oh, we go to church, or we went to church, or we don't like that church, oh, I don't like that preacher, I don't like the way he dresses, his sermons are too long. Well, I'm going off on a soapbox here. Um, or we don't like that. Or we, we start saying comments like that, which only implies that we are going to an event or going to a place. Well, why does this matter? Why am I bringing all this to our attention? Because we are missing the point of what the original church, the early church, the first century church, the church that Jesus started, the church that Jesus built, is it possible that we're missing the entire point of church? I'm going to give you three points today that I want us to grab. Number one, the primary activity of the early church was one anothering one another. Did you know that? When people thought of church in the first century, they didn't think of an event. They didn't think of a building. They thought of the way they one anothered one another. It was purely relational. There are 100 verses in the New Testament that give exhortation to Christians to one another one another. Now, God knew that our focus needed to not just be on the vertical. It needed to be on the horizontal. And if the horizontal isn't right, then the vertical can't be right. Do you know what I'm talking about? If your relationships aren't right, then the vertical can't be right. And so let me give you some of the one another's. We could keep going with these, but here's some examples. He said, be devoted to one another. He said, serve one another. He said, accept one another. He said, forgive one another, teach one another. He even said, admonish one another. We don't like that one. Encourage one another, build up one another, pray for one another, honor one another. We could keep going. Comfort one another, strengthen one another. Uh, We could just keep going. Those are some of the do's, but here are some of the don'ts. Don't envy one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not slander one another. Do not grumble against one another one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Church, the biggest calling card that the church had in the first century, our win, our play, our best bet was the way we one another one another. 
And when the world looked at the church, they didn't say, wow, what an event. They didn't say, wow, what a building, because guess what? They didn't have buildings till the 300s. Did you know that? They couldn't leverage a building. They couldn't level, uh, leverage a political agenda. They couldn't leverage ideologies. They leveraged the way they one-anothered one another. We lose our leverage when we don't do that. We lose our best play. We lose our winning card. When we say, no, the only way to heaven is through this political ideology, let me just tell you, when the church stands on one side of the political aisle, the church loses. I didn't hear any amens. And when the church stands on, well, the church is going to do good, Christianity is going to do good if we pass these laws, but if you pass these laws, we're in trouble. Let me just tell you, the church never leaned on the government passing certain laws. Do you want to know what the laws were about the church in the first century? They weren't good, but the church was winning because we one anothered one another. Did you know that you can't one another one another without one another? Think about it. You can't one another one another without one another. If you're not here, you can't one another, this group. You can't obey most of the commands in the New Testament unless you're planted in the body of Christ. We are telling people, stop going to church and plant yourself in a church. You can't one another one another without one another. So I just I want to ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud. Just think in your mind. Who has impacted you the most? Think about some of the people who's impacted you the most. You probably have a name or a, or a picture of a face that comes up in your mind. Who's impacted you the most? And you may have two or three. Whenever you think of who has impacted you the most, here's what you think of. You think of two groups of people. You think of those who have hurt you, and you think of those who have loved you. If you ever want to impact somebody, hurt them or love them. Hurt them deeply or love them profoundly. The people who have impacted you the most are the ones who have hurt you the most. And the people who have impacted you the most are the ones who have loved you the most. And whenever you go to counseling, if you ever go to counseling, I've been to counseling. If you ever go to counseling, the people that the counselor will bring back in your mind, they will bring back the stories of those who have hurt you the most and those who have loved you the most, right? The way the church impacted the the first century, the second century, the way the church impacted the Roman Empire in the beginning was not their theology. It was not their political views. We get nothing about political views in there. The way they impacted the world was the way they loved people deeply and profoundly. And it shocked the world. That's the reason the early church impacted the world. Out of all the other commands, though, there, there, there's 100. There's 100 passages about one another. There's one one another that is mentioned one out of three of the commands. It's the same one. 33% of the one another's is the same one another, and it is this one. The primary one another of the one another's is to love one another. One out of three in the Bible is, is to love one another. I actually believe all the other one another's are subsets of teaching us how to love one another. When it says to honor one another, that's how you love one another. When it says to comfort one another, when it says to encourage one another, when it says stop passing judgment on one another, when it says don't slander one another, when it says don't gossip against one another, when it says to, uh, 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 to encourage one another, that is how you love one another. So in your Bibles, you're already there, John chapter 13, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples the night that he was crucified. I'm going to bring you back to, uh, to the time that Titus talked 
uh, talked about. Jesus is about to pray in the garden. He's about to sweat blood. He's about to uh, watch Peter cut off Malchus's ear, and it's laying on the ground, and Jesus picks it up and probably wipes it off and shakes it on his jeans real quick and puts it back on, blows through the hole or something. I would have done that. Um, you got a weird preacher. But that night, that night, as Judas left to go do his thing and to take his money and to betray Jesus, he grabbed the 11 left, and he says this, verse 34, a new command I give you. Now, you're about to go to the cross, a new command I give you. <clears throat> Jesus, we don't need any new commands. We're not doing very good on the other 613 commands. <laughs> we don't need another one. He says this, a new command I give you, love one another. That was his command the night he was crucified. And they said, that's not new. That's not new. We already knew that. That's in Leviticus. That's love your neighbor as yourself. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. There is something new about it. The old command was just love your neighbor as yourself. Look at what he says in verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. The level of love used to be love people as much as you love yourself. He says, a new command I give you, love people how I have loved you. Has Jesus loved you? Has Jesus given for you? Has Jesus sacrificed? How did he show his love for you? He laid down his life for you. In 1 John, it actually says that this is how we know what love is, that we are willing to lay down our life for the brothers and sisters in Christ. We're willing to lay it all down for each other. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Verse 35, by this, by what? By our theology, by our belief system, by our buildings, by our events, by our places, by this love. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Will you read that verse out loud with me? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you... This is what the original church leveraged. This was their play. It wasn't a program. It wasn't a system. It wasn't an event. They one anothered one another. And what they did most of all, they loved one another. And in a dog-eat-dog world, in a world that knocks each other down to get the next pay raise or the next position, don't we need that today? Have you noticed that our world needs some love? Do you agree with that? Love one another. How important is this? 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am, what's the next word? Nothing. Nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain, what's the next word? Will you allow me to paraphrase that for a moment? For me, just for me. This is my paraphrase for me. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 through 3. This is for Nathan. No matter how articulate and crafty of a sermon I put together, if I don't preach it with a deep love for my congregation, I am nothing. doesn't count. No matter how forward-thinking I am as a leader or how charismatic I am as your preacher, which I'm not, if I don't love my family, I am nothing. 
no matter how much time I spend in my Bible, no matter how, much deep, how deep I get into my theology, if I don't love you, I am nothing. How important is this? Nothing else counts if we don't love one another. 1 John 4 verse 20 says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? Did that, did that just say what I think it said? Church, I love you, so I'm going to tell you what that just said. You can't love God if you're harboring hate in your heart toward a fellow Christian. Let me say it again. <laughs> you can't love God if you're harboring hate in your heart for one another. You don't love God. The vertical is not right if the horizontal is not right. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, and I love this statement, Peter says, fervently love one another from the heart. Once upon a time, once upon a time, there were churches who didn't even have the New Testament yet. They didn't have that for many years later but they had loved one another. And that was their win. So final point, number three. Number three, I hope you get this. Everyone needs to be loved. Amen? There, there isn't a person that walked in those doors today that doesn't need love this morning. Now, I know how it is. We walk in, we put on our facade, and we act like we're strong, and we don't need to be loved. And there's probably a few people in the room, maybe somebody in here that doesn't need to know. I am convinced of this. After 20 years of ministry, I am convinced that everybody who walks in those doors and everybody who's walked in every door of a church house in Houston, Texas, needs to be loved this morning. Can I give you two stories of why I say that? And I could give you 10 stories of this variance. It was a handful of years ago, and after the second service of the church we were at, we had two services, first service Sunday school, then second. After the second service... I went back to shake hands with everybody who was leaving, and I came back in the auditorium. There were several groups gathered, and I was talking with them, but I noticed a lady over here, um, excuse me, not a lady, he was a young man, oh, that's important in this story. Uh, there was a young man over here who was sitting down, and I could tell he had the look, and preachers can tell this look, he was waiting for me. We know the look. And so I was talking with the other groups, and every now and then I'd just kind of look over, and he was, he was still sitting there, and he had the look. I knew, I knew. So whenever the auditorium cleared out, I made my way on over there, and I just sat down with him. And when I sat down, I got close enough to realize, ah, his eyes are bloodshot. He's been crying. And I sat down. I said, how's it going? He said, she's been cheating on me for two years. I'm sorry. There was... Silence, there was a pause. And I said, how long have you known? And he said, three months. And it just hit me. Now, we talked about it. We talked about next steps. We talked about counseling. We talked about what to do. But it hit me as I was driving home. That guy's been walking into church for the last 12 weeks. Well-known guy in the church. Nobody knew what was going on. I don't think to this day anybody knows it went on. Well-known guy. He walked into church every Sunday. He served communion. He shook hands. And for at least 12 weeks, he sat over here carrying a burden, carrying a weight. He needed to be loved. I'm convinced everybody in here is carrying a burden today. I'm convinced of it. 
For the last five and a half years, I've been talking with a man and his, a man and woman, his wife, and we have talked every week for the last five and a half years about the burden that they're carrying. And if I was to share with you what the burden is, it would ruin your day. It is almost, it is unspeakable. It is hard to imagine. It has to do with parents and kids, a burden of a child. And there hasn't been a week that's gone by in five and a half years that there hasn't been a text, a call, or an email. Oftentimes, every day in the week, there's a phone call. And they're carrying a burden. And myself and my wife are the only ones who know about it. And he's the preacher of a church. And they don't know. He's the preacher's, and she's the preacher's wife. Every Sunday, they walk into church carrying that. And this, was, this last week is, was specifically worse. There's weeks that are worse than others. And they're, they're in church right now. And he's going to preach at 1030. Maybe he's already preaching. And he is going, and she is going to love everybody in that room, and none of them know how bad they need to be loved themselves. Can I just tell you this? The person sitting next to you, it may not look like it. I'm, I'm telling you, they need to be loved today. And the reason we're saying stop going to, rather plant yourself in, is to give you the opportunity to one another, one another. Everybody here today needs love. Everybody in here is carrying a burden. No matter how strong you, you think you look, I know better. Now, I don't know what the burden is. God does. Aren't you glad he does? But we need each other. I am reminded as we try to put on our strong facade, I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul figured this out. He said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's actually when we let it down. It's actually when we finally admit, I need some care. I need some one-anothering of one another. I need to be loved. That's when God steps in and he gives us an amount of love and comfort and encouragement that gets us through the week. We need this. God didn't just give us a Bible and the Holy Spirit and say, go get them. Good luck. He gave us the church. He gave us a church family so that we could one another, one another. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for the church. I'm grateful for your idea. I'm grateful that Christ started it and that he's building it. And we have the opportunity here today to not attach ourselves to a building because this is our third building. And we have an opportunity to not attach ourselves to an event because there's, there's things a part, uh, that's a part of our event that we could sit here today and critique and say, well, this wasn't quite right or that wasn't quite right. But Father, I pray that we are a church family that prays for one another, that comes alongside one another and loves one another. And that when the world drives by on Sunday morning and sees those orange venture flags out there, they would say, that's a church that's known for one anothering one another. That's our play. That's your plan. In Jesus' name I pray.